Well, good morning, everybody. This morning we are um, continuing on in our series with the Lord's Prayer, and uh, this morning specifically talking about the phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, But I'll pray for us, and then we'll start going through that. Um, God, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the way that he's made a way for us to be right with you, for heaven and earth to connect. God, I pray that over the next few minutes, as we look at your word, that you would speak to our hearts and minds. God, not only that we would be drawn to your kingdom, but God, that we would be drawn to you. I pray that you would use me as an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of the gospel and your love. God, that you would be honored and glorified and lifted up in this place. And Holy Father, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Um, These are the last few words of a song by Rich Mullins called Hard to Get. Uh, It's one of my favorite Rich Mullins songs. But these words, these lyrics go like this. What I really need to know is if you who live in eternity hear the, prayers of us, hear the prayers of those of us who live in time. We can't see what's ahead and we cannot get free from what we've left behind. I'm reeling from these voices that keep screaming in my ears. All these words of shame and doubt, blame and regret. I can't see how you're leading me unless you've led me here to where I'm lost enough to let myself be led. So you've been here all along, I guess. It's just your ways, and you are just plain hard to get. Uh, I love Rich Mullins uh, because of his honesty and authenticity and the way he openly struggled with what it meant to live a faithful life. And this song, Hard to Get, is in some ways um, demonstrates that struggle of prayer, uh, demonstrates that struggle of what it means to, to have a relationship with God. And uh, the song, if you were to go and listen to the whole song, it opens with Rich sort of working through the all-too-familiar feeling that when we pray, we're talking to a God that's somewhere out there, somewhere in eternity, somewhere removed from us, separated from us and our prayers and our life and our struggles, and that God is just out there playing hard to get. But it closes with these last few words with the realization um, that God is near and present, even though God and his nearness are sometimes very difficult for us to grasp and hold on to. Um, Ben closed out last week's time on the phrase, hallowed be your name, by reminding us that those words within the Lord's prayer are both a praise and a prayer. And he encouraged us that as we practice this prayer, as we say those words, hallowed be your name, to let that brief moment of saying that phrase be a place set aside to practice our own awareness of God's nearness. To let those words as they leave our lips, to let them remind us, me and you, that God is our Father, that he isn't far removed, but that he is instead present and with us at all times. And the fact that he is here, that he is Emmanuel, as scripture scripture puts it, that he is God with us, this informs what comes next in the Lord's Prayer, what we're talking about this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've been saying it together over the last few weeks, but this is the Lord's Prayer. 
as we see it in Matthew 6. I'll just read it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Even though we're only looking at verse 10 this morning, this prayer as a whole is a prayer that looks to God with expectation. It's a prayer that looks to God expecting that God will indeed do what's being prayed for. And so when we pray this prayer in some ways, even though we're expecting God to step in and do something, at the same time, it's an invitation to join God in the building of his kingdom. Before we get too far down that road, um, let me just sort of outline what I want to do this morning with that short phrase. I kind of just for a minute want to talk about what we're praying for when we pray that God's kingdom would come. I want to talk about what we're praying for when we pray that God's will would be done. And I just want to dive into those things for a moment before moving or while at the same time diving into them, talking about what those things mean for us, how they should change us and shape us and reorder our lives. Um, So when Jesus prayed for God's kingdom to come, when we pray that same thing, what is it that we are praying for? First and foremost, I think we have to say that we are praying for something real and present and earthly. We have to believe that because part of the prayer here says on earth as in heaven. That eliminates the possibility that we're praying for something purely spiritual, that we're praying for something purely heavenly or something that's purely in the future. A couple of weeks back, Ben reminded us that heaven isn't so much a geographical place as it is a reality, the reality that we were created for. It's the reality that God exists in because it exudes from who God is. And heaven, as we find in Revelation, is the reality where we will live in unity with God and each other as God always intended for us to do. So to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as in heaven, what we're praying for in some sense is we're praying for the interlocking of God's reality with our reality. We're praying for the intersection of heaven and earth. We're praying for God to do something right here where we are, right here where we exist, right here where we live, right here in the here and now. We're not praying merely for God to save some souls so that he can eventually take people away from earth to inhabit some celestial place. Instead, we're praying for the redemption of all things. We're praying for that time when the future holy city of God comes down to earth and God redeems his creation and God makes all things new and justice and mercy and love prevails. But we're also praying that that very truth breaks in to the here and now where we're at, where we live on a daily basis. When Jesus came to earth and lived in first century, first century Israel, he lived among a people who were eagerly waiting for God to return to his people Israel. Jesus' contemporaries were longing for God to come back and to lead his people as king. We know 
Years and years before, God's people had been exiled from their land primarily because of their idolatry and the resulting injustice from that idolatry. They never again felt like they had truly left that exile even when they came back home. The Roman Empire was a curse. The puppet kings who ruled in the name of Rome were a joke. But the Old Testament prophets had promised over and over that a king would return after Israel's exile in times of suffering. So the people around Jesus were eagerly waiting for God to return and rule. They were eager to be rescued from this continued exile. They wanted the evil empire of Rome to be defeated. They wanted to be free. They longed for the words of the prophets to come true. Words like this from Isaiah, chapter 52, verses 7 through 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Jesus knew these prophecies intimately. He knew the longings of his people and that's the context that he stepped into. And Jesus stepped into this world of longing and announced himself as the one who would comfort and save God's people. As the one who would redeem Jerusalem, like Isaiah said. As the one who would step into this world and be king. And even though we don't have time to do it all together this morning... I don't think I'm wrong in saying this about Jesus, that all through the Gospels, he was talking and acting as if he truly was bringing God's kingdom to earth. Although it looked different than what anybody expected, Jesus acted and spoke as if he truly was bringing God's kingdom to bear. Jesus spoke and acted as if evil's long reign over earth would be defeated by him. Jesus spoke and acted as as if he himself was the king returning to his people. And in some ways, the fact that Jesus proclaimed himself as that very person is what led to his crucifixion. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray that his kingdom would come, he was telling them to pray that he would actually succeed in seeing God's kingdom established on earth. Astonishingly, or maybe predictably, Easter proved that Jesus had actually done this crazy thing. With the resurrection, Jesus defeated his people's greatest enemies. Jesus exiled his people from the control of their greatest enemies, from Satan's sin, death, and their idols. Jesus made a way for heaven and earth to come together. The prophecies were fulfilled, even though it looked way different than anyone expected. And here's the thing. Jesus' earliest followers didn't think 
that Jesus was merely creating a new religion or an improved spiritual life or a better moral code or a new way of doing things. I think they realized that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the whole world had turned from darkness to light. The great reversal had happened. God's kingdom was coming to bear. Oftentimes when we think of the story of Jesus, we think of it merely in terms of our own sin and our own issues. We say things like, I am a guilty sinner. Jesus is righteous and he came to earth to die for my sins. And through his atoning sacrifice, he takes my sin and guilt upon himself and gives me his righteousness. And through his resurrection, he's freed me and given me eternal life. And through this exchange, I am accepted by God and counted righteous in his sight. And I want to affirm all of those things. But if we stop there, we've made the whole story about us. We're missing the grand scale of God's kingdom. We're missing what God has called us to do in light of this prayer for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We're missing what God is doing in bringing his kingdom to bear on earth as in heaven. God's kingdom is here because God has come to his people in the person of Jesus. And even though God's kingdom is here, we still have to wrestle with the reality of the now but not yet. Even though Jesus' kingdom has broken in, we know and we see that injustice and death and evil and hurt and suffering, those things still exist. And because they still do happen, we're still praying for God's kingdom to come on earth. And here's the thing about praying for God's kingdom to come on earth. Our praying that prayer is actually an invitation to join God in what he's doing to build his kingdom here on earth. N.T. Wright uses these two illustrations to show what it means to pray this prayer. He says, Jesus is like the medical genius who discovered penicillin. We are the people who have been cured by his work and who are now in turn offering that cure to everyone else who needs it. He says that Jesus is like a musical genius who has created the greatest song of all time. And we, having been captivated by this song, are now singing it for the world to hear so that the world too will be captivated by Jesus. The kingdom is here because of what Jesus has done. We know that it won't be fully realized in full until all of the whole world and all of creation is healed, until all of creation is redeemed to the point of singing this song together. And we pray for that day when we say the Lord's Prayer. But we pray that the truth of that day would break in right where we are now. And that prayer ultimately leads us to look out into God's creation and see it with the love that God carries for all that he's created. But that prayer should also lead us to grieve deeply and lament for the battered and bruised state of God's creation and God's people. And that love and that grief, they lead us to pray but they also lead us to act. 
for the redemption of the world, for the radical defeat and uprooting of evil, for heaven and earth to come together. Now hear me. What I'm saying is not necessarily go out there and do more and try harder because you're not doing enough. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this prayer and these words that Jesus, Jesus taught us to pray about his kingdom should lead us to the point of reordering our lives. Should lead us to the point of our hearts being shaped and changed so that we too want to be a part of Jesus' kingdom building activities and seeing God's kingdom break in right here on earth. Surely that will lead to direct action in the world. It absolutely must. But the starting point and the purpose of prayer on some level is to reorder our own hearts and our own minds and our own lives. So that's what it means to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's how it should change us and shape us. That our hearts and minds and lives would be reordered around what God is doing. But before we're done, I want to also examine this phrase that we haven't really touched yet. And it's the line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think it's easy to read those words as simply a prayer of resignation. We read those words and recognize that surely we have things we want, things that we pray for, but they probably don't matter much. And if God has something he wants to do, well, then I guess I'll just put up with it, go along with it, because what choice do I really have? And surely that's relatable, right, on some level. Because it certainly is to me. But that can't possibly be what Jesus is aiming for in teaching us this prayer. Surely Jesus isn't just aiming for a shrug of our shoulders and a whatever you want to do, God. I think we get a better picture of what this means by looking at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Going a little further, he fell on the ground, prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and saying the same words. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. He came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus is there in the garden with his friends. They can't stay awake. His death and agony is imminent. He's distressed, sorrowful, troubled. And he repeatedly prays to God, yet not what I will but what you will. God, take this cup from me, not what I will, though, what you will. 
Jesus knew what was coming. And Jesus asked God to remove that cup of suffering from him. But God didn't answer the prayer that way. I'm sure Jesus knew this prayer couldn't be answered that way. But what that led to was an acceptance that the hour is at hand, and ultimately what I believe is an acknowledgement from Jesus himself that God's ways are best. Right? It's not just that Jesus wants us to blindly acknowledge that God's will is going to happen whether we like it or not. It's that when we pray this prayer, part of what that means is to reorder our hearts and minds to trust that God's ways are better than ours. To pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. To pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven is ultimately about recognizing that God's ways are better, that God's kingdom is better, that we want God's kingdom to break in. We want heaven and earth to come together and we want to reorder our hearts and minds around that very thing. Ultimately, that's part of what prayer is, reordering our lives around Christ and what he has for us. I've emphasized it over and over today. Ben has for the past two weeks, but this prayer has its at its core, the truth that God is with us, that God has actually come to his people. He's not remote and detached. He's present and involved. And when we pray for God's will to be done, we're praying this risky, crazy prayer that the desires of our heart that do not align with God's ways would be subverted and overthrown. We're praying that we would come to see God's ways as best even when God seems so hard to get. It's our way of taking God's medicine, healing our hearts and minds, and preparing ourselves to join God. It's our way of retuning our instruments and warming up our voices to sing and, God, and play God's song for the world and invite them in to be captivated by God, to be healed by God. Look, the call for our lives this morning is pretty simple. It's a call to pray this prayer. It's a call to live this prayer. It's a call to reorder our hearts and minds around what God wants for his kingdom here in this world, right where we are. It's a call to reorder our hearts and minds around a recognition that God's ways are best. And ultimately, it's a call to God himself, that God is best for us. That's our call this morning. Before we move to a time of response in just a second, um, if you were able and willing, I'd invite you to stand and join me in saying the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I'll pray it one line at a time, just like we've been doing over the last few weeks. I want you to pray that same line together aloud. And uh, in between those lines, I'll give us just a brief moment to consider the words we are saying and all that we are invited into. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
Lead us not into, into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Amen. You guys can sit back down. We're going to enter into a um, time of response like we do every uh, Sunday here at Redemption. Um, this is a time for us to respond to what God is doing and saying in our hearts and minds. Um, there's a place in the back where you can uh, give your tithes and offerings. Most of us probably give in other ways, but this is a time for us to remember that giving is indeed an act of worship and an act of response. Uh, during this time, the band will come back up in a second and lead us in some songs, give us the opportunity to worship through singing. And also during this time, we'll take communion together. Um, when we take communion, uh, what we're doing is we're remembering what Christ has done for us and we're proclaiming to one another that it, we believe it and that it's true. Um, so if you're here this morning uh, and you want to remember Christ's work on our behalf and proclaim that it's good and true, then I would invite you to come and take communion. Um, whether you're a member of Redemption or not, I, I invite you to do that uh, if that's indeed something you can acknowledge. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll move on with that time of response. God, thank you for the opportunity to be together this morning, to be reminded, um, God, that you have indeed done something incredible You've made a way for earth and heaven to be joined together. You've made a way for us to meet with you. God, not only have you made a way for us to meet with you, God, you've invited us into what you were doing in this world. God, what an incredible, what an incredible invitation. What an incredible opportunity. God, over the next few minutes as we close out our time of response and close out our time together, I pray that um, you would continue to work in our hearts and minds, that Jesus would continue to be lifted high, that we would be drawn to you above all else. Holy Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen.